Hello, and welcome to Rugby World Magazine's One Game at a Time. This week, something a little bit different. After 150 top-flight appearances for Harlequins, Carl Dixon made the difficult transition to becoming an official, and less than a year after performing in the Premiership as a player, he made his debut as a referee in the same league. Listening to Carl discuss his move, that journey through the lower leagues, the way he now has to think about a game, and the way he interacts with players and fans alike is captivating. There are very few people who have had a relationship with the game that Carl has, and this interview proved an excellent insight. I hope you enjoy it. This is One Game at a Time. Well, hello, Carl Dixon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, what, what, does a, what does an out-of-work referee do with himself at these moments in time? What, what, how are you keeping yourself fresh at the moment? Um, fresh? Well, living in a flat, obviously, is a, is a challenge. Um, <laughs> but we're very lucky the government has given us enough time to go out and train for a little bit. So I can go out for a bit of a run or, and a stroll. Um, and I'm, I'm very fortunate a, a gym has lent me some equipment but you know a lot of relaxing looking after the kids homeschooling um <laughs> stuff like that so you know all good fun well thank you so much for coming on one game at a time i mean you're a little bit of an unusual guest in so much as you're one thing and another at the same time and obviously i really want to explore that with you i suppose we we dig straight into it and, and we will be looking at one particular game the, the first game that you you refereed at a premiership level and you you've been very good enough to sort of give us a bit of insight into that particular game but let's let's start with 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 perhaps the big question why did you want to become a referee do, do you know the true answer to it is i'm not really sure at the time um no but um it was one of these things and it's probably one of the things i say to a lot of people when when they ask me is like I always think it's an opportunity to give things a go. Like no matter what, what you do in life, where you go, what you do, it's always good to try things once. Um, and I say, and a guy called Will Skinner who used to play play for Harlequins and was the captain mentioned he'd done his referees course, and I'd never even thought about it. Like genuinely, never even thought about becoming a referee due to you know my special relationship with referees and how I had a you know a nice conversation with them every single game. Um, so I'd never even thought about it and. Um, so he mentioned it one training session. And I was like, oh, do you know what? I'd love to give that a go and just 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 see what it was like. And I kind of spoke to the RFU, Chris White, my London Society, and um, managed they could fit me in to do the course, uh, which luckily wasn't a two-day course for me. It was a four-hour course. And then I had to try and take a little test on the laws, which you'd be surprised. And some of the laws I had no idea about. Did you feel under? Did you feel under extra pressure? Because to a certain, I mean, you're laughing at it there, but you know that's that's tough because you know you've been playing the game very successfully at the top at the top level, and then someone comes along and goes, actually, yeah, do you know what you're talking about? I mean, that that's tough. That's someone almost calling your bluff, isn't it? Well, yeah, especially when you're supposed to go, yeah, yeah I know the laws of this game. You know, I play it every week, but you'd be surprised, like how many times players and people and you know will come up to you and, and ask you something and say something and you have to sort of politely go well actually that's not quite correct it's actually this um, without trying to say to them come on you you should know this but um, yeah, it's always intriguing so so you go through this course and then is it is it a little bit like a driving test or driving you know uh, sort of learning to drive do you have to get out on the road do you have to throw yourself into a game that's it it's exactly it it's the only way you can learn um and I remember my first game was an under-16 boys game on a Sunday. And I literally was just running around. I had no idea where to stand, you know, what really was going on too much. And you think you should be used to it because you're there as a scrum half, always in the mix, always there. But as a referee, you're looking at a lot of stuff completely different. Um, 
so it was it was great to run around and try and communicate i mean i had no idea this sounds stupid but how to blow a whistle properly <laughs> someone had to teach me how to do that um and then how you actually spoke and w- what you said and signaling i think a lot of times i made up my own signals at the start just to because i had no idea um but it was it was a I, I thoroughly enjoyed the first game that i did and it kind of sort of progressed from there what is it about refereeing that you enjoyed what what was it that you you obviously started and that there must have been something you thought well, hang on a second you know th- th- this this gives me something what did it give you so i guess there's sort of two parts to it like whenever you played you enjoyed you know enjoyed being around people and playing the game of rugby which you know is massive and then the challenge because every game is a challenge and as a player it was and as a referee i enjoy the challenge of the game and i enjoy being part of rugby and you know referees allowed me to stay in the game that you know i've played since i was sort of 12 years old and making your way up through the ranks uh and 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 sort of putting yourself out to these sort of under 16 under 18 you know sort of various different club level games were there ever uh, warm receptions for you were there ever people who were like Oh, fantastic. Carl Dixon, this is this is going to be good. I've got a few things to say to him. I had a few warm receptions and, you know, I, I guess it was people obviously knew who I was coming through and, and they sort of, I kind of was lucky in the fact I got sort of instant credibility. I, I guess one of the biggest learning points I ever had was, I, I'm not going to mention the team or anything, but I refereed a game and it was right at the end, I think it was a one-point score, driving malls, gone down. And obviously when you're at, uh, I think it was level five or something like that, you're by yourself. You don't have any touch judges or anything like that. So I made a decision because uh, obviously I couldn't guess. Game finishes, this team loses lose by a point. And after the game, two players come up to me and, and tell me exactly exactly what they think. And I think I reverted back to being a player at that point and kind of the red mist came across me and I told him exactly what I thought. Um, and as soon as I did it, because I was all mic'd up and everything like that, I had an assessor there. I was like, oh, no, what have I done? So I had to literally sit for like two or three minutes and then jog after these players and just go, listen, lads, I really apologise. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said what I said. And from that game, I learned so much. It, it helped me sort of go into sort of different environments and just learn to change my the way I spoke and the way I thought around refereeing. We kind of joke about it there, but but that is a very serious and very difficult transition to make. And, you know, you talk about the mentality, you talk about the way that you are, you know, th- that's a big shift from, from, from having the mindset of a player to the mindset of a referee. It, it, has that been the most difficult thing to sort of change? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, there's been, you know, feedback probably from my first year or so through through a lot of people was, we need you to get thinking more like a referee than a player. Because at the start, I kind of was like, oh, that's okay. We'll let that go. Oh, that's all right. You know, because I'm a player. I'm like, let's just carry on. But then you've got to bring the referee inside of it into it and go, actually, that's not okay. I've got to penalise that. Actually, I can't just let that go. I've got to do something about it. So that was challenging for me at the start. And then obviously as well, when you, you know, you're used to dealing with crowds as a player and you don't actually really hear too much because they're not, name specific they're not going to shout out certain things but then as a referee it's very clear when you walk in you know up between crowds that they can be very personal about Mm. things and it's how you deal with that sort of situation and again going back to that game that's helped me massively and just sort of I'm more of a a kill you a kindness kind of thing you know I remember being at the game we're going to probably look at later and a fan came up to me after the game and told me exactly what he thought about the game even though Gloucester won 
And um, he, he said a few words to me, which I won't repeat. And I just said to him, thank you very much. I really appreciate your feedback. I'll take it, I'll take it away with me. Whereas before, as a prayer, I might have said a few other things. Yeah, you, you have to be very uh, thick-skinned. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the way I deal with it. I, I, I find that helps me. Um, you know, as I said, during games, we're always going to make mistakes. Crowds are going to make noise and all the rest of it. And you might feel uncomfortable, but it's a case of just smiling, getting on with the next job. Because as anything, players make mistakes, referees make mistakes, coaches make everybody makes mistakes. Mm-hmm. So it's how you deal with them. And, and for me, the, the coping strategy is smile, kill you with kindness, just say thank you, apologise if you've missed something. Because people can understand that. You know, if I miss a knock-on, I can go, listen, lad, sorry, I, I missed it. I just didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And I think people, players can kind of understand that rather than, you know, you sort of being abrupt with them or reverting back to that sort of player mentality where you kind of sort of say, no, thank you. I don't need it. No, I'm moving on. So there's a huge amount of analysis in the game as a whole, but perhaps I'm guessing, and you, perhaps you can correct me here. There's probably more analysis in what you do nowadays, a sort of approach of, of reviewing than, than, than perhaps, you know, there, there was even as a, as a player. How, how do you, how do you deal with that? Cause again, that's, that's quite tricky to sort of constantly, tell yourself that you need to develop and you need to do this and you need to do that? Well, I think like, as I said, we mentioned before, during games, you pick up mental pictures and obviously coming through, you build up those mental pictures so you see them. Like, you know, a potential law that you might have forgot when you were refereeing at level 12. Oh, I've seen that before. Actually, I know, I know what's going on here. Or I've seen this picture before at the breakdown. I, I, know, I dealt with it last time this way and this is how I should deal with it. And as you mentioned, we do a lot of, uh, reviewing of games and it's very transparent we have an independent re- reviewer for the games in the premierships so someone who's nothing to do with us and send stuff out and then we have our own coaches and, and uh, assessors for us and everything's transparent we, we look at every single penalty we give uh, we look at certain obviously high impact decisions we, we call them or big moments in the games like TMO decisions yellow cards red cards whatever it is and we go through them and, and try and be consistent not just myself, but as a group. So we're trying to help that sort of develop as a game. How important is that team ethos? You, you come from a very strong team ethos as, as a rugby player. And, and, and I'm guessing I've spoken to other referees as well. The, the team around you, and I don't just mean the team within the game, the, the, the guys running the touch or in the TMO booth, TMO booth or anything like that. I'm saying that team that you get back to on a, on a sort of weekly basis and speak to, how important is that camaraderie, that sort of togetherness from, from, from them? Oh, it's, it's massive. You know, coming from that team environment, you know, when you speak to a lot of players, it's what do you miss when you finish playing rugby? It's, most of the time, it's not I actually miss playing. It's, I miss being with the boys. I miss being in that environment. I miss that sort of, you know, camaraderie, as you mentioned. And it's the same with refereeing. We, we don't meet each up with each other as much as, you know, we, we probably want to. Um, but when we do, it's like being back in that environment. Everybody gets on together. Everyone trains together. And everyone's trying to help each other out. I mean, ultimately, everyone's just trying to get better and be more consistent to help the game. And I, I think that's what everybody wants. And it's kind of another thing why I kind of moved into that environment because it was similar to playing and I really enjoyed it. It was a very quick transition that you made in, into refereeing. In fact, you, you were refereeing this game that we're going to watch and you, you'd been playing the previous season. That, that is quite a quick, quick transition. You obviously had a huge amount of help, a huge amount of, of, uh, of, sort of support. Was there ever a time where you thought maybe it was a bit too quick that you would have liked a little bit more time to do that? 
Well, it was quite, it was quite interesting because obviously I, I, I came into the RFU after I retired, sort of, I think it was what, like the May, and yeah. then obviously I took my role within the June. And I was like, well, maybe what they'll do is they'll, I'll do a lot of championship games maybe for the season. And then towards the end of the season, you know, what are the sort of games that might not matter too much to dead rubber? They might stick me into the premiership. So I was like, oh, maybe that happened. And then I find out like in November after I've, I've probably done two and a bit months of championship rugby, and a little bit here and there. And they're like, well, yeah, we're going to give you a premiership game. I was like, oh, okay fine I, I, that sounds great like you know i that's why why you do it you want that challenge and i thought great you know i look, look forward to it and then i divulged a little bit further yeah it's going to be um at gloucester i was like okay okay this is you know they're quite a renowned crowd and have a sort of an opinion on a lot of things so i was like great uh, versus saracen so it should be a really good game they went, oh, yeah, by the way, you're on fr Friday night and it's on TV. I was like, okay, there we go. I was like, you start me off real, real nice and light. You're not, you know, you give me a TV game Friday night at Gloucester. And I was like, okay, this should be interesting. How does it, how does it uh, manifest itself? How does it, how does it come about? I mean, who, who tells you? How long do you know? How, 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 how many weeks out do you get to sort of plan or prepare or worry about it? So normally you get sort of a schedule three or four weeks in advance and you know where you're going. At this point, I think I found out literally the week before. Wow. That's what they were looking to do, just purely because um, I think it was an international window normally during the November internationals and, and they were like, okay, and obviously we had a few guys away and they were like, listen, we'd like you to sort of do that. And I was just like, okay. I, I mean, I thought I'd wait a little bit longer, but no, I, I, I'm really happy you've given me the appointment and uh, I look forward to it. Let's talk about games in general and how you lead up to them do, do you I mean I, I speak to players and and, and they're they're pretty set and, and a lot of them are very set in the way that that, that they set about um, their preparation you may have may well have been as a player is it the same for you as a referee do you like to do the same sorts of things in, in the lead up to a game on a Saturday afternoon yeah I do, I do the exact same thing um, I have exactly the same warm-up I was actually discussing this with a, a young referee uh, a few, a few days ago is I had the same as a player had the same warm-up every time so then as a, as a referee I have the same warm-up as I do and what I do within that warm-up is I kind of have three or four minutes where I know it sounds a bit weird but I pretend that I'm refereeing breakdowns mm -hmm. and moving around just so I get that feel um, and movement in, in my head and just so I can mentally prepare for the game and that's kind of how I did it as a player and, and how I do it as a referee. What are the sort of timelines when, when are you told to sort of get there and and is there such a thing as getting there too early or too late um i, I think it's all personal preference i mean what what i like to do is i try and find uh, i like to get up to a game early uh, and try and find somewhere to have lunch or a coffee with some of the the other guys at like the other ars or the tmos not to talk necessarily about the game just to have a general chit chat because we've done all the sort of preparation before that um and then normally get to the game about an hour and 15 minutes before so we're in getting ready and, and as we normally do, we, we go into the teams about an hour before the game and, and do the toss. So that's kind of normally the lead up. And then after that hour, it's it's our own time before the game to warm up. Um, any last minute sort of preparation bits we need with, with the team, discussion points that maybe we've had on a, a Saturday and watched the game on a Friday and something's come up. So, But um, that's normally what happens. Yeah, talk us through that because people won't really understand. I mean, is your is your approach to... Um, a particular game or a particular team, does it does it differ at all? Are you looking, you know, again, 
feeding back to what you've done previously or how matches have played out previously is it is it do you do you go in with any sort of preconceived ideas or 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 is there a case against that as well and actually just going in you know it's fresh it's new see i mean you kind of like a catch for it i don't personally go in with any preconceived ideas because some a player can do one thing one week and then a player can do something completely different the next week. So mm-hmm. I think going in with preconceived ideas is probably a little bit difficult and potentially can be a little bit dangerous. But also on the other side is you want to see pictures. Like you might want to have someone at a breakdown who really likes to compete. You know, you've got guys this year who really get low and over the ball. And it's something that you might be thinking to yourself, right, this guy gets, he's going to challenge me at the breakdown. I'm just going to make sure he's, he's on his feet and supporting his body weight. And that might, might not necessarily be, preconceived idea it just be, it just goes right I've seen this picture before mm. I need to maybe just have a word with him before the game and go listen I think you've been fantastic over the ball lately but what I just need you to see is just just show me you're supporting your weight do players or coaches ever try to lobby you before a game do they ever try and sort of shout oh you need to watch out for this you need to watch out for that and how do you deal with so, that so what we have normally during the week we might have a, a team sending some certain clips uh, about another team's can, you know can you just be aware of this that and the other um, which is is quite normal, um, and then like obviously when you're in a changing room, you might have another little bit of like, listen, can you watch out for this? Mm-hmm. Um, which is which is fair enough. Um, they might just you know, and sometimes it just gives you that again mental switch on to go right, okay, this is what they've seen the other team do. So I'll just make sure I look out for it. And, and normally what you do is you'll say to the the opposition coach or whatever that listen, I understand this is what you're going to do. This is maybe how I'll deal with it if it's if I'm not going to penalise it first time round. Let's go to the videotape uh, and let's watch some with you. Now, I've picked up the last 20 minutes of this game. A fair amount happened in the last 20 minutes of this game, but I also wanted to ask and perhaps start you off with the rather obvious question of tiredness. How aware of you uh, or how aware are you of potentially making mistakes due to fatigue? Because obviously it happens to players. Surely it must happen to referees as well. Yeah, I mean, this is why I guess we, um, we're, we're tested with our fitness every six weeks. Um, not just to necessarily be physically prepared, but it's also to be mentally prepared. Mm. Um, and, you know, we know potentially the last sort of 10, 15 minutes, two minutes, whatever, are, are some of the most important parts of the game because th- that one decision can change a game for a win, a loss or a draw. So, you, you know, you want to make sure you're prepared for the, these picks. And that's why we do so much fitness-based stuff, just to make sure we're, we're mentally and physically prepared for, for, the, for 18 minutes of rugby at such a, such a high level. Let's have a look at this game. We're uh, going to have to use the full match replay from the Premiership Rugby website, which may not be available outside of Britain. Let me just have a look. In this game, there was um, Skulk Bricks. I think he'd scored a try. And then he came up to me after and he was running back and was like, sir, sir, like, you know, what do I do? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes... I think I followed through a little bit. What what do I do? <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what to say to you right now. I was like, just please get away from me and run run back. Uh, and later on, I found out that if if a player does want to just leave the field, they can leave the field. But obviously, no one else comes on. But it was such a bizarre moment. <laughs> that is unbelievable for your first refereeing. Was that a wind? He was in uh, serious. deadly serious. Unbelievable. <laughs> I had no idea how to deal with it. I was just like, I, I, I don't know. I, I was just like, please leave me alone. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> right, hang on. We're going to uh, get everyone watching. We need to find one hour and 19 minutes on the uh, full match replay. Uh, hopefully they've got the link. And I'm going to press play uh, now. That's where we're going to pick it up from. I want to talk about the first thing we sort of have a think about, really, with, with you, Carl, is positioning. You, you sort of mentioned it earlier uh, about, you know, 
when you first got to refereeing, your positioning was the one thing that you need to work on. Uh, wh- wh- what, what are you thinking here when you're, when you're trying to sort of position yourself in places? What, what, are you, what are you trying to do? You can see yourself just at the top of the screen there. So whenever you, whenever you talk about positioning, everyone sort of is like, what's the best position? Is there a best position? And I always say it's, it's what works for you. Um, it, and that's what, you know, I always use this trial and error sort of thing. When you, when you start out refereeing, try, try different positions because certain positions might feel, make you feel a little bit more uncomfortable. But ideally, when you, when you are in these positions, you want to be able to see the ball. You want to be able to see the breakdown. You're not ever going to be able to see everything. But ideally, you want to be able to see certain positions that you can actually see the ball so you can make a decision. And the fact that you were a scrum half, does that give you a major advantage? Is it, and I suppose the question is most easily put like this. Is scrum half one of the more easier positions to transition into being a referee because of where he is and what he's doing and the, the link between forwards and backs? Um, I would say, yeah, I think it's probably uh, an easier sort of thing to do purely on the basis that you kind of go into each breakdown. So as a referee, you're running towards every breakdown. Obviously, you stood by a scrum when the ball's been put in. You know, you buy the line out. So as a nine, you're doing the exact same thing. You're actually in a position where a referee a lot of the time would be. And, you know, going into a breakdown, just for example, as a nine, you're going in there and you're seeing the tackler, you're seeing the, you know, the jackler, you're seeing the ball. Um, so I guess it makes it a, a little bit easier. What are you talking to players about at, at the breakdown? You can, you can hear you occasionally talking to, to, to people and, and telling them what to do. Communication is a massive part of what you do. Yeah, and I think this is where it sort of varies and, and people have different sort of strategies and where, where they go. I mean, I started out and again, from being a nine, I used to talk all the time because that's what I used to do as, as a scrum half. Mm. But what you realise is you're constantly commentating on the game and people don't want to hear that. And, and also, the other side of it is you're coaching players. So you're almost sort of letting players do certain things and then coach them going, roll away or move or do something like that. And, and you're actually helping teams out. So that's where you need to be consistent. If you do it, you need to do it for both teams. So, so I kind of sort of develop a strategy more so now where I try and say nothing at breakdowns unless I really, really have to, just to give it that um, when I do open my mouth, it has some sort of uh, meaning to it. Costa scored a, a really good try there. A lot of lot of build up play, uh, and you know, sort of kept their control. And then Billy Burns, little dink over the top to Ollie Thorley to go in. Again, another strange question: Do you do you get time to appreciate rugby as a referee? You've got the best seat in the yeah, house. Yeah, I mean, I think I've caught myself on a couple of occasions be like, and and sometimes off guard, and in Premiership games when someone potentially makes a a poor kick, go, oh wow. Like, because it's just, it sometimes comes in and you're just hoping no one picks up on it. But yeah, you, you can appreciate when you see some of these drives that go, you're like, you know, fair play. And what, what you're very fortunate sometimes with now on, on TV and stuff is when the kick is going back with the ball, normally it goes to commentary and they're talking about stuff. And you can just sort of say to the kicker, whoever it is, but well, fair play, that was, a, that was a great try, like good move or, you know, whatever it is. So you, you still have that sort of player, sort of referee interaction when potentially, you know, other people are talking so that the audience won't, won't notice. We saw you coming in there. When the try is scored, a check with, with your, your nearest assistant referee, any need to check with a TMO if, if, you're, if you're happy with it? it was, what, are, what, are, what are the secondary processes that, that happen once you see that ball? So I'll, I'll sort of run over towards that, um, where the ball's going to be, the ball's going to be scored. Um, look at my AR. He'll just normally give me a thumbs up or a nod. Um, and I'll blow my whistle. And then 
in the background at this point, you'll have the tier mode, just making sure, sweeping up, just in case there's anything that we've missed, which is, is really clear. So in this situation, there was no need to go near anything because it was pretty clear cut. You see guys clearly on side, um, balls kicked over. Claire, no, no sort of chance of a knock-on um, and the ball's really well grounded. So you don't need to go any further. There's a lot of controversy about the use of TMOs, fans sort of suggesting, you know, there's too much reliance on them. I mean, how, how do you feel? Do you, I mean, we see it a bit later on in this game. You, you make a decision pretty quickly. Is that, is that the referee's sort of mantra? Would you prefer to make decisions with your own eyes? Yeah, ultimately, like, you know, you, you want to be able to see something and make a quick decision and sort of, you know, wh whatever it is, if it takes the sting out of the game and you don't have to slow the game down, all that sort of thing. So if I, if I see it, then I should make a decision. And, and what we're lucky is that in the background, if we're completely wrong, we've got something completely wrong. We have a guy who, who can actually has a seven second delay screen to have another look at it and then actually can uh, fast forward and rewind to check everything and make sure we've got the, the correct decision in the end. But ideally, I want to make the decisions there and then. And, and I say to my, my team, like the two ARs, I'm saying, let's, let's make, try and make decisions on field. Let's take the TMO out of it unless less we actually have to need it and we've not seen something. A, a lot of sort of strong breakdown break play in, in this game. Two sides very keen to contest it. Just how difficult is that to referee? Um, well, a lot of the time, you know, players will sort, it, sort the breakdown out themselves, um, which, which is great for us. Um, but it, it, it's a difficult game because you, you, you're kind of going in there, you see a lot of ball now is under three seconds um, at the breakdown. And there's so many sort of decision-making bits of, Tackle, has he rolled? Is the jackler on his feet? Has he come in at the right angle? Has the clearer come out at the right angle? And there's so many things you've got to make in that one, two seconds to make sure that you've made a right decision and no one's done anything. So as you get better and better and kind of see more and more pictures, it gets that little bit easier. But again, it's sometimes you're going to miss things. There's an old adage, isn't there, about the fact that a good referee is a referee you don't hear much from. Is that is that true in, in referee circles? Yeah, as well? I, I think so. And that's what I said to you before. Like you, you, you want to make sure when you do open your mouth that it means something. If you're constantly talking the whole time, it just becomes white noise. Um, so, mm. yeah, the, the players you don't hear, so the referees you don't hear from uh, are normally the ones that, um, you know, are, are some of the, the better ones or managers when they actually do make a make a scene or open their mouth that it means something and people go yeah fair enough that that makes that makes sense just seen a captain come in there and brad barrett and come and come and speak to you how much listening to captains do you do because obviously they're, they're seeing things from a very specific viewpoint how, how much are you listening to genuinely what they say you, you take you take whatever a captain comes over to you you're going to listen to him and i think this is one of the big things is to speak to someone how you'd want to be spoken to if you know for example brad mm. comes up to me and is like carl um, I think I don't think they're rolling away here. They're slowing down a ball. All it takes to me is go, okay, listen, I might not agree with you in my head, but I go, no problem, Brad. I'll have a look and um, I'll, I'll, I'll see if we can solve this, solve this problem. Um, and that's in it. it kind of just diffuse, diffuses any sort of situation that might you know, blow up later in the game. So, yeah, you're definitely going to take uh, heed of what they're saying, but it's always about the right time, right place um, and, and right manner in, in the way they speak to you. 
this game certainly was was seesawing in the first half. Saracens uh, were, were were definitely in control and 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 seemingly uh, you know had their hands on on the tiller. And and this period of the game certainly saw the momentum swing back. You, I'm guessing you can very much feel that in the game as well, and 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 feel the momentum change within a game. Oh yeah, definitely. You can you can see. It. I mean, it was fourteen six. Um, and then as soon as Gloucester score, you know, they get the crowd behind them. You can feel that Gloucester is sort of getting on top. Um, but, you know, the momentum can change at any point. So, you know, it could be all Gloucester for five minutes and then suddenly something happens and it changes again. So, yeah, you're very wary of the momentum, but you also know that it can change within a heartbeat. So it's just about being aware and making sure you stay on task. Gloucester going through the phases and, and, and keeping you on your toes and, and keeping your positioning uh, really sort of switched on. Talk us through what your worries are here as they get towards the line. Are, are there any concerns? Are you looking out for particular things? Well, particularly during uh, the line, you get obviously forwards normally like pick and go. Um, and it, it seems, you know, sometimes counterproductive that when you get near the line, you slow it all down because you've been so quick up to the first 95 metres and then it gets to the last five metres, which Gloucester are now, you know, five metres out. And it turns into a pick and go, that attritional sort of battle. And what, what you're looking for is basically Gloucester staying on their feet as they arise and not, not trying to seal off the ball. But then also uh, Saracen's not just intentionally uh, infringing to, to slow uh, Gloucester's ball down. So... There's the decision. Very quick. You you were in a perfect position, and and you made it. You didn't need to. You didn't feel that you needed to involve David Rose, the TMO, and 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 that and that again, I suppose, comes out of an element of of of, of positioning. First of all, technically positioning yourself well to start with, but then also the confidence to sort of say, you know what, I, I know what I've seen. Definitely. I mean, you you want to put yourself in a position where you can see, um, and as you can see from that, I'm literally. Two metres away from, from the trial line, I can clearly see that he's put the ball on the trial line. So you don't need anyone else to help you out. You know that the try's been scored and you can just move off. And again, you, you almost know that the team is going to be there to sweep up if there's something really clear that you've missed. Um, so you, know, you have that confidence in your team that if you have missed something, they'll bring it to your attention. However, in this situation, I was in a perfect position to award the try. Um, and then we just move on. There's no need to slow the game down and bring the crowd into the into the situation and, and get 20,000 Gloucester fans' opinion on what, what, what they think should happen. Um, the man kicking at goal, Billy Twelvetrees, I'm not going to let this one go to a certain extent. You know my loyalties, but you played alongside him for a whole season. Was it nice to see him out on there on the pitch as a referee? Did he have anything special to say to you? <laughs> he, he didn't have anything <laughs> special because obviously he knew me as a player. And he, he kind of just said to me, I don't really know how to talk to you. Um, <laughs> And I was like, I just said, Billy, just talk to me like normally, like as you would to anybody. And he was like, okay, okay, sir, okay, sir. Um, but he has that kind of, uh, that, that's kind of the way he is. He's such a nice guy. Uh, on the fact of, of players talking to you, are certain players chirpier than others? And again, I don't really want to name names, but do, do you have, and again, I, I want to say this respectfully to you, uh, Carl Dixon, you were quite chirpy as a player. Do you have to, do you have to um, exercise your judgment with, with chirpy players? Um, I think you, you kind of know like who is going to be chirpy. What's so obviously the RFU has done a massive thing on values um, and trying to stamp that out in the game. Uh, I know that I didn't have the best relationship uh, with referees, particularly early in my career and towards the end. But I suddenly realised, like probably with a year or so to go, that do you know what? <laughs> 
these guys are going to be my colleagues next year. And I've, <laughs> if, I, if I keep talking to them, though I have been, they're, they're not going to really like me in that first meeting. So I changed probably the style I, I, uh, I spoke to, spoke to, uh, to referees. But you, you can literally, it's just a quiet word here or there. And, you know, you can sit there and just go, listen, I, I understand your frustration, but I just feel like you don't, you, you can't really talk to me about that. So, you know, let's sort it out and change and if they carry on then that's when you have to move to sort of the next stage and potentially looking at uh, penalising them and uh, and so on but we, we can't have in a game where we have players um, challenging referees um, and, and things like that and that's kind of a big push the RFU and I'm sure other leagues have been make, making but yeah you, you just got to find a way of, of dealing with them and, and certain players are a little bit harder to deal with than others. I saw John Afoa talking to you there. Um, the front row is, is a whole different, you know, sort of ball game, isn't it, really, when it comes to refereeing, and, and especially at scrum time. We haven't really examined a scrum on the footage as of yet. But, I mean, is, is that a particular area of, of the game that, that, that you are, you know, sort of fascinated by and keen to get right, what goes on in the front row? <laughs> I mean, fascinating is a strong word. Uh, I, I think it's a. I think the scrum is is such a powerful weapon if it's used right. Um, you think you know you've got six, uh, 15 people on the pitch and you've got eight, 16 of them in a, in a, in a scrum. So there's so much space for players to 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 make use of. So I think it's a it's a powerful weapon. Um, for me, it's about you know a process that we got. We, we want to get right as referees and get a, a good stable base, so then we can get the ball in and then let let the guys in the front row and the, and the rest of the scrum. Do what they're paid to do, um, and you know if you, you do that well enough, then then you get rewarded or you know you go forward. So it's something you know is a is an area of the game which is, again, I wouldn't say fascinating, but it's an area you want to get right. Um, but as you see, a lot of players, uh, a lot of players get frustrated when we get these resets and resets, and that's where I think we've got to be better um, in the game. Right. You, we come to a moment on the footage of, of a TMO. Ben Spencer has scurried his way through defenders towards the post. Lots of people scrambling back. And you you have asked the TMO. And I think you ask a question because you originally think that the ball has reached the try line. Uh, but you're good enough and able enough to listen to what David Rowe says. Talk us through what your thoughts were here as we see these pictures. So I've come, and I'm in a pretty good position to see the ball. Uh, but there's a, the leg in my way. So I'm like, well, do you know what? This is a time where I can actually use the technology. I mean, you see six, uh, 16 is fall on that side. So I, I can't see. And I'm pretty sure a try has been scored. It's one of these kind of instincts. You, you know, you look at people, you look where they are. Um, I'm in a good position. I think I'm pretty sure a try has been scored here. But I just want to check because it's such a, a big decision in the game. You know, this score takes it within, um, you know, uh, a... a a one tr- one score game. So I was like, well, let's let's use the technology. And obviously, TMO now has changed in the, in the questions that we asked. So it used to be, um, is there a, is there any reason why I can't award this try or try yes or no? And now it's my on field decision is try, and then you just tell me otherwise. So in this situation, because I'd asked uh, the question, um, is there any reason I can't award a try? All I need is, uh, I don't need a picture with a ball on the line, mm-hmm. potentially. I just need the, the TMO to tell me that th- there's no reason that he can see. Otherwise, that, that I shouldn't award the try, whether it's short or there's a hand underneath it or there's a leg. So it's just making use of that technology for, for such a big decision, particularly when I have a, a leg in the way 
and a few arms. David Rose is 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 pretty experienced, and and you know you, you've got to have someone with a calm head in there, being able to sort it all out for you. Yeah, definitely, and, and that's what why they you know you, you get these ex professional referees to to go into tier mobile because they they've done it a million times on the pitch. So why not have him uh, you know in the van or in the truck um, to help you out? And you know as I said, he he um, has done it many times, and he. I asked him a simple question and on the on the views he had, he was like, listen, Carl, it's, it's short, clearly short mm. from the angles we have. Um, don't award the try and it'll be a five-minute scrum. And, and that's it. You want a smooth process. You want to trust in your TMO. And, you know, this shows that it, it, was, a, it was a quick process. It didn't take loads and loads of replays. Um, and, and you can see from the players' reaction, no one's really surprised by it. There is a scrum uh, and there, there is something for you to sort of make your way through and try and work out what's going on. When I look at them, I, I just have no, <laughs> I have no idea what, how, how you come up with some of the decisions you do. I mean, could, can you shed any light on, on, on what you're looking for, what, what, you're, what, what would guide your decision making? Well, it's, well, obviously, when it comes to the scrum, again, we mentioned before, we're looking at the setup um, and, you know, Looking at this, no pre-engage now. Obviously, with the no heads on shoulders and putting pressure through to protect the hookers. Obviously, before the ball's put in with with all front rows, we want it to be square because if all players are square, it makes it a lot easier to referee. Um, it's when we start getting angles involved, and then then you've got to decide if if someone's going across, they're not going straight, are they cheating? So if we can get players square in the front row to start with, we've we've done a good job to start with, and then we can obviously move on to the sort of the next phase when the ball comes in yeah. um, and as soon as the ball comes in, that's when again, the big boys get paid to do their jobs um, and hopefully legally they do it and um, either get the reward or, or the ball comes out. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult part of the game because um, there is a lot going on. And, you know, you talk to, talk to guys, you know, when I kind of was working at Harlequins um, and coming through, I used to speak to Adam Jones a lot and show him some pictures of scrums and go, listen, what do you think? Um, because these guys have done it. They've been in, been in scrums. They know what's going on. You know, they know how to cheat and all the rest of it. And, you know, he famously said to me, he was like, listen, a lot of the time people are trying to get one up on each other and uh, they kind of sometimes know how to cheat. And sometimes you've got to be uh, good enough to, to see that. And, you know, scrums are sometimes can be very difficult. You can have a very difficult scrum game or some games you have, a, you know, a nice scrum game where six players want to be nice to each other and, and get the ball out and play. We're- Entering the last ebbings of this game, how, how how often do you get told about the time, and and how much is is sort of on your wrist, as it were, as opposed to in your ear? In the Premiership, we don't. I won't wear a watch that um, tells me the time. So we have a timekeeper, and again, like we do with our TMO and our ARs, we we speak to the timekeepers before the game and go, listen, give me five minutes, uh, give me two, and then count me down from ten to zero. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I get them to count from ten to zero is purely because they can go zero to the player and if the ball is kicked with one I can see if the ball's gone out on a zero mm-hmm. or there's still time left but you can always ask that question as well listen was the time on the clock left when he um, when he kicked the ball out but it's also just to feed that information to the players as well who, who else is in your is in your ear uh, at once because I mean again that's something that people need to bear in mind it's all very well having your own thoughts and your own thinkings but you've got people talking to you in your ears how often do, do, do the assistant referees talk Without invitation, or do they have to be invited to speak to you? Or how does that work? So, with the with the ARs and TMOs, it's kind of um, it comes down to well, if you don't need to say anything to me, don't say anything. Only only say something to me if you have something 
useful. So during the game, obviously they have something clear and obvious like a knock-on or an offside or something they're going to go, they're going to feed that information to me. Or in downtime, again, when you probably won't hear it because the commentators are talking or whatever, they might just feed in any sort of trends or anything that potentially, you know, off sidelines are really tight. Just work, you know, maybe work a little bit harder to push them back a little bit. Um, so that's kind of the jobs of the ARs. Uh, and the TMO will only come in when um, he, he needs to come in to sort of give me information regarding normally foul play or something something I've clearly, clearly missed, which is potentially game-affecting. Five minutes to go in this game. You can obviously feel the tension and, and going up. Are you, again, I, I've heard referees refer to themselves as not wanting to make a decision that decides the game. Is there part of that in your brain as well? No, I mean, I don't think going towards this sort of period and going, right, I don't want to make a decision because then I, I sort of, you know, change the game or affect the outcome. Because ultimately, you want to make the decision that's correct. Um, and, and we talk about consistency. Well, how you've refereed the whole game, you don't want to change that at the end of the game because then you're not consistent with how you've refereed that game. Mm. So you kind of adapt to each game and referee what needs to be refereed in that game, if, if that makes sense. Um, so, no, I wouldn't say it's not a case of not making a decision, um, not being afraid to make the wrong decision or right decision. It's about the decision for the game and how you've refereed that game. Mm. Uh, but you're, you're obviously wary that, you know, this is a nine-point game, so you know a try is not going to be uh, pot- potentially affect the result, but it, but it also means that Saracens potentially get one point, which could be big in, in the grand scheme of things at the end of the season. So I just think as long as you're consistent through the game with what you're doing, then it shouldn't be a case of, I'm going to have to change here or, or change the way I referee just because it's the last five minutes and it's a, it's a close game. I suppose after the game, and we, we don't have any footage of it after the game, but do players or indeed coaches want to talk to you about the game or, or is it is it your judgment on how you interact with players and, and coaches after a game? Yeah, you you always go and have a, have, a, have a chat with players and coaches, um, purely because you'll, you'll go for a post-match meal and while they're obviously coaches and players are in there, um, and you just have a quick chat. It's just out of courtesy more to sort of potentially go over to the coach and go, listen, you know, what what are your thoughts on certain things today? What do you think? And it might be a case of, you know, I, I felt you were a little bit um, quick with the whistle at the breakdown. You'd be like, yeah, okay, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I just felt like this is the way I did it and this is where I wanted the game to sort of go and, and I felt it needed it. Oh, okay, yeah. And you're going to, sometimes you're going to have different opinions, but it's it's always nice to 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 get that sort of, feedback uh, straight after a game because they've seen it on a, on a screen and, and probably seen a lot more than we have from a broader, wider picture, whereas we've sort of been, you know, seen sort of ground level. So, yeah, you're going you're gonna to speak to these guys and just see, see, see the feeling of the game. And so when it comes around to when you watch it later and review it, you, you can sort of think, oh, OK, maybe he was right. Or actually, do you know what? I don't, I don't think, you know, I was too quick. It was actually about right. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, you come out of a game after a referee after you've refereed the game and you're like, it's it's a very diff- different sort of situation because as a player, you, you go home with everybody. Yeah. You go around, you can chat about the game and, you know, and you probably have a link to the game straight away. You can see it, you know, coaches sort of reviewing it on the bus. Whereas a, a ref, you kind of get in your truck and you're on, on your way home by yourself and it's, you don't know what's happened. You don't know if you've missed something because you don't know the unknown. So it's a little bit different, but it's also, it's always nice to get that sort of, a little bit of uh, feedback straight after the game from the uh, from the, the coaches and players. 
Yeah, right at the end there, you can see a brilliant piece of, of interaction between you and your assistant referee to make sure that the uh, the decision was was right. How how do you have you made any? I mean, obviously you you know that there have been decisions that you will know that you've got wrong. How how do you how do you sort of come to terms with that? And and how do you how do you move forward with that? I think I think it's a situation. I mean, rugby is such a hard sort of sport in the fact that sometimes there's a lot of grey areas. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, I'm going to make mistakes. I know I've made mistakes, uh, but it's how you learn from them. Uh, and I say, again, like I use at the very start, these mental pictures, I, I, I'll be able to see that again. So if it ever happens again, I'll be able to see it because I've already already seen it before and be like, right, okay, this is what I should do this time. This is I know what, I know what to do because I've seen it um, and, and I use that experience to sort of help myself going forward. Uh, and that's probably sort of the biggest key. It's learn from the mistakes. And players make mistakes, you know. I don't go up to a player during a game and, you know, if they miss a three-on-two and go, oh, wow, you've just missed that three-on-two, you know, you should have scored. So, Must be tempting. <laughs> so it's, it's, just, it's just one of those things. So, uh, yeah, of course I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make mistakes. And what, what you hope is that, you know, that, that mistake has not changed the outcome of a game or changed something major um, uh, within it. So it's, it's just sort of minimising those mistakes. But, you know, I, I don't think you can go through any game 100% without making a small error. And that's, you know, you might have missed a knock-on. You might have missed a, an offside or you might have missed something here or there. So, uh, like a player in a game, you know, you're not going to go through a game faultless. You, you, you've made the transition. Some would say that you've, you've made it very well. Obviously, you'll feel that there's still, you know, development to be made. But it's changed you as a rugby person. But has, has becoming referee changed you as a, as a person? itself i think you know i think it has changed me as a person just i think more on the fact that again due to the experiences i've had that i just i've just calmed down a lot in in the sense of and that doesn't mean like i was always very aggressive or anything like that but it's just it just made me a little bit more calm um you know when you when you're playing rugby you want to be a competitor you want to be in there competing and you've got to sometimes be on that you know edge to, to be that type of person um you've got to be a little bit selfish to be a, a sportsman um, to get to a certain certain level, so I think it has changed me in the fact that you know I'm very more sort of relaxed. It's not so much of a you know I'm not going there tackling people and rucking, and it's a big competition and it's you know testosterone filled sort of environment. It's it's very relaxed and um, I think it has sort of, sort of chilled me out and mellowed me out a little bit. And you know I think I think people have noticed that. And if anyone was interested in becoming a referee. What advice would you give them, or, or indeed, what sort of personality do you need to become a referee? I think, like like anything, I'd just say just get, you've got to give it a go because ultimately, you know, in life, you've got to give things a go to see if you like it. If you never give it a go, you'll never know if you, you you'll enjoy it. And one of the big things I've been pushing for, which you know, I'd love I'd love to see, I'd love to get like a, a program or something where you get you know some of these commentators, um, you know, Hugo, Austin, maybe even some players refereeing a game. Do the course, referee game, and, and almost analyze and, and review them how we get reviewed, and just to, just to see it on the other side, uh, because I think people will find it's a lot more difficult than you think. And I, I kind of they probably didn't have the appreciation I did for the job they did when I was when I was playing. I was like, oh, they're just refereeing. Come on, just get on with it. It's your job. Just do it. But then when you're actually out there, it's, it's a lot more difficult. So I think it'd be really nice to get people to um, just to experience that and. You know, potentially getting a little bit of criticism and see how they dealt with that and see how their personality is right. But I think you've got to have thick skin, as you said. I don't think you can have that sort of 
I think they use it in a psychology terms, being the red, that sort of mm. red sort of personality traits, because it'd be that time where it could be a TV game and you blow up and then suddenly it's like, oh, wow, that, that, that's who he is. And he's kind of let that environment get to him. And obviously you're not going to progress any further, but it's something I think would be, I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be, I think people would actually get a great in, insight into it. If some, some of these guys actually went out and, and, and refereed and, and experience just 20 minutes of what sometimes we might experience. Now, since 2017 and, and your sort of de- debut in the, in the, in the premiership, you, you've obviously continued to rise and continue to sort of keep going. Um, how far, uh, you know, do you want to go? And is there one particular game that you'd love to, to, to do more than any other? I, I guess I know the answer to that. Well, I mean, obviously the obvious answer as any players referee, you want to referee at the top level. So you're looking at a, a World Cup final, Again, so but for me, I guess the goal is just to be at the World Cup in in 2023. I was very fortunate enough to go in 2019 as an assistant referee, but the next goal is to to go to the 2023 in France as a referee, and and then just see what happens. But as a game, uh, I think you know the next sort of progression for me is to you know if if the opportunity presents itself and it, it, it comes around, is to referee a Tier One versus Tier One nation, so a you know a New Zealand versus South Africa game. Uh, you know, in Ireland, Scotland, wh- whatever it is, just that's kind of sort of the next sort of progression for me to do. And, you know, to referee somewhere maybe, you know, in New Zealand or Australia or South Africa in front of a packed sort of crowd in one of those sort of games, I think would just be monumentous. So um, that's kind of where, we'll, but we'll see what happens. Well, I wish you all the very best of luck with that. You've given us incredible insight. You've managed a very tricky transition. And I think people would already agree that uh, you've become one of the better referees in the country. We wish you all the luck in the world with your burgeoning career. It's been fantastic to talk to you. Uh, here's to many more games in your future. But for now, Carl Dixon, thank you for giving us your one game at a time. Yes, Sam, thank you very much for having me.